Oh, kia ora koutou whanau. Welcome back to another edition of the Department of Conversation with me, Pat Brittenden. We have been making sweet, sweet love in your ear holes since 2018. Hey, today's episode is brought in part uh, to you by our Patreon. Uh, if you're interested on any levels at supporting what we do, uh, being a co-producer to what we do, then we've put a, a bunch of options on Patreon that you could have a look at. Maybe you could consider if you're someone who has the means at the moment to flick a couple of bucks the way, uh, the way of this independent media broadcaster head to uh, patreon.com forward slash the d-o-c-n-z patreon.com forward slash the d-o-c-n-z and uh yeah would uh, really appreciate it if you were someone who could help us out that would be awesome um all right today's uh, podcast is with uh, the uh, reverend frank Richie uh, Frank is someone I've known for a very long time and uh, we did uh, broadcasting together in his life before being an ordained minister. He is now someone who is uh, kind of the face on some levels of the, the Christian world amongst mainstream media because they often call upon him to comment on things. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, if you don't like religion so much, then this is probably not the podcast for you because we get into it. And if you know me well, you know, that uh, religion and politics are two of my favorite topics to talk about. So here he is for you now, uh, the lovely uh, Frank Ritchie. And we're live with Frank Ritchie. Hello, Frank. Hello, Pat. It's been a long time, mate. <laughs> I was just sitting here at my uh, little uh, website slash studio slash whatever this is, bedroom at the moment, thinking, what have I forgotten? Because you know you get that thing where you get comfortable with something, and you'll know this from radio, you get comfortable doing something, and then all of a sudden, that's when you do the big balls up. Like, I remember yeah. I remember working for More FM in Auckland, then moving to a local radio station for a few months in Tauranga, called Coastline FM, and of course, you, you don't say, Auckland's only 1.8, More FM anymore, you say a different name, and so... You spend all this time kind of, and you write it, and you put it in front of you, and you make sure you get it right. And then after about six months, I'd gotten so used to it, I just started a voice break. I hadn't done it for six months, and I went, Auckland's only one point. Oh, that's not right anymore. I'd gotten so comfortable that I forgot something. And I'm just looking around going, I just, I feel like I've forgotten something today. You just saw me before we went live, turning off the phone volume, turning off the laptop volume. Just <laughs> So something's going to happen. I don't know what it's going to be today. Something's going to happen. Had, uh... I had one of those uh, times saying the wrong radio station on ZB a little while ago. Thankfully, the the as you know, the station that I that I had had most previous contact with was Life FM. Yep. And I was on ZB, and I closed out by going, "It's Life," and because but that's you know a perfectly it? legitimate, okay <laughs> way to close out anyway. Yep. Only people in the know heard it. So there's one friend who's given me grief ever since. Uh, yeah. No, uh, I, it looks like looks like you've got it all together. I hope. Oh, well, I, I wouldn't go that far. That implies things <laughs> bigger than what we're doing right now. Um, no, I will. It'll be fine. Look, I mean, the, the people constantly ask me, "Why do you do this as a live stream?" Everyone else just records it, then uploads it, and my answer is because I'm lazy. It's like once yeah, we've totally. once we've finished the live stream, it's done. It's the same as I mean, you know, this again. I mean, doing live radio, you you finish, you walk out the door. If you're recording something and then editing it, it takes ten times as long. So. So oh, yeah. yeah, and yeah. if you stuff something up, it's okay live. Whereas you feel like if you're putting up a, a recorded thing, you've got to you've got to do all the editing. It has to be slick and perfect. There's so much more work in that. I rather I'd rather fly by the seat of my pants. Yeah, or 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 in this case, not pants. What are you wearing? <laughs> <laughs> this is my uh, this is my formal Friday. Stand up. Know? Go back a bit from the thing. Let's give us a give us a full twirl. Okay. okay. So that's like that. See, that feels. I mean, the coloring. 
of the white, not so much, but the actual, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and that's a, a, a less um, extravagant, like going to Catholic secondary schools, St. Peter's College first, which was Christian Brothers, that was their ordination, and they went to Sacred Heart, which was Marist Brothers, and they all wear similar kind of schmocks, frocks, attire, but they have, because they're not as... Uh, obviously wealthy and stuff as a church you attend and they take a vow of poverty, not like you guys. Um, they will always be just plain brown. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a good look. But you probably should explain why. Why are you... Was this for me, primarily? Yeah, just, it's pretty much, pretty much for you. No, Hillary Barry, of course, has been promoting the whole formal Friday thing during yeah. uh, during lockdown. And I've, I've seen it each Friday and gone, oh, I haven't really got anything to wear. And yeah. I was like, well, actually, I do. Uh, see, I only bust this out for really formal occasions. Like if someone wants a quite a formal wedding, I'll yeah. wear this. Right. Uh, Sunday's like Resurrection Sunday, I'll wear it. But otherwise, us Wesleyans don't wear this stuff. I'm probably the only Wesleyan in the country who wears one of these things. But I love clerical dress-ups. So I was like, oh, formal Friday, perfect time. And then someone laid down the challenge on Twitter that I should wear it in our conversation. Right. I've got a black T-shirt on underneath that says, not today, Satan. Right. And I was going to wear that. Yeah. But the challenge was laid out. So I was like, better do it. Well, I, I've, I've, come, I've come to the forefront a little bit with formal Friday. I am wearing pants today. Um, yeah. Often yeah. I'm in my bedroom, so you just get out of the bed, roll over here and get going. Um, I, I, I washed this morning. Uh, oh man! I, I couldn't find my beard oil. I've got this really cool beard oil, and I couldn't find it. So I, uh, I had a good wash and a shampoo of the old beard, and it's all nice. And and I'm wearing my uh, South Island merino top. So oh, maybe not quite I the formal, privileged. but for you, Frank, more formal than usual. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering you threatened the possibility of nakedness, I think you've done uh, done extremely well. Yeah, people, I, I people want to find out. Was... People want to find our threads on on Twitter. What did I suggest? Frigid Friday. Because yeah, it was yeah. a high end in Eden of eight degrees, and I was going to go naked, so that was going to be the. And knowing you, I, I thought there was totally a possibility of sitting down and seeing you without, yeah. at least without a shirt on. Yeah. I know that the the camera's not going to see below that, wow. but I thought you might have been. Topless. Don't count your chickens. You just you never quite know what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, obviously from the ridiculous banter that we started with, we've known each. You know, I was thinking the other day, it is approaching twenty years. I think I was at Life FM in the early aughts. So yeah. it must be 15 years plus. It must be like 16, yeah, 17, 18 years. It's going back some time, mate. I, I remember, and I'm not going to go into details about this, but oh, I you should. No, 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 definitely. <laughs> some run-ins with some uh, some churches and some incidents that happened on Talkback where you, where you pretty much had my back. Uh, so that that would have been around 2002, 2003. Yeah. Yeah, I remember the one of the my most enduring and fun memories from Fakatana. Oh, sorry, I was about to say from Fakatana because I just gave away the punchline from um, Life FM. Life FM was a, a primarily Christian radio station. I always saw it as a radio station that was providing a niche to a marketplace, but you know most people look at it as a Christian radio station. And I used to get in trouble all the time, all the time. <laughs> in fact, I worked with the group a couple of times, and both times I left under a very dark cloud. Um, <laughs> but one of my favorite memories was working on the breakfast show. There, I noticed it's still called the Morning Wake Up too. That was that, I, yeah, I changed that to that name, and it's still called it, which is which is cool. And in fact, I didn't even think about this, but I think I'm actually wearing one of my original Morning Wake Up t-shirts. There you go. Oh, look at you! Look at that! You are. That's so retro. Yeah, man. yeah. I didn't even well, didn't even think done. about that. Um, someone who was a winner for Mochueka phoned up. In the, in the morning show and they were like we were like oh, so so where are you calling from they're like Mott and, like, and, and my co-host went where's Mott 
And they went, oh, it's what we call uh, Motueka when you live here. And I looked at my cousin and said, I wonder what people who live in Fakatane call it. <laughs> and she looked back at me and she went, Fakatane, Pat. And I'm like, Ugh. never got in trouble <laughs> for that one. Also, I never got in trouble when I did a live broadcast from um, Hobbiton and talked about I'm looking forward to going up back end. And never got called out for that one either. <laughs> so I snuck a few, a, a few of my uh, my dodginess through. I remember, I remember this one uh, where I was co-hosting with Die on the on the drive show. Die Skidoo. And we there was this bus that had been hijacked from the airport uh, at the time, and I remember getting uh, two things, uh, two things mixed up in my head. So I had jacking a bus, which would be like nicking a bus, yep. and then I had in my head also taking off with a bus. So when it came out of my mouth, it came out, came out as jacking off with a bus. Um, <laughs> of course, we both lost it. I quickly had to go to the break, uh, uh, but no complaints. I don't think I don't think anybody else understood what we had just said. What I just said. It's funny you talk about you know when you make a mistake, people don't really notice, and it's true overall, which is why I like live. You know, when I was working for ZB, I did between you know kind of. Th- four and seven hours of live talk back every single time I was on air. So the idea of doing this live streaming stuff, it feels, it feels natural and comfortable. Um, but also what other people don't realize is how, when it does go wrong, the people who enjoy it most of all are the hosts. Like when there's a mistake made, the hosts are typically the only people who know really, unless it's a massive balls up. And also when things are funny, it's often the hosts that they know it most well. Like I've got a, I've got a Skype tape, floating around somewhere and some of the things that I couldn't go to air in the end wouldn't wasn't allowed to go to air when I was working for that group but I've got a couple that were me and um, I think he's now the boss there with me and Luke just pissing ourselves laughing just unable to control ourselves and it's it's that thing it's like actually one of the great things about that medium is that's the people behind the mics and in the control rooms if it's that kind of station who actually have more fun no matter how much fun you have when you are listening, they have more. I listen to a podcast now called Two Bears, One Cave, which is a couple of American comedians, uh, Tom Segura and Bert Kreischer. And I was listening to it last night. And I I don't laugh out loud. I mean, you know what it's like when you're by yourself. You don't really laugh out loud at a lot of things. You laugh. You, you, you find something amusing and you think, that's so funny. But it, it's another step to laugh out loud when you're by mm. yourself especially. And I was laughing out loud and I was just thinking, you know, as much as I'm enjoying it, these guys are having so much more fun than I am actually doing what they're doing. So, yeah, it was always a, always a fun it's part true. of it. We, uh, Jack's uh, my co-host on Sunday nights and I have, have talked a couple of times about how it'd be great to have two shows. There's the show that actually goes to air, yep. and then which fits ZB. And then there's the other show that happens when we're off the air because we're quite off color off the air, which would fit well on another on another format. There are two radio stations happening. It's just the audience is only hearing one of those radio radio shows. Although I did hear a clip of you the other day telling people to go out and get them get their partners pregnant to have at it. Was that was that, was that the the statement that <laughs> yeah, so we're, have, we're, have we're, at it New Zealand? Go and get your partner was, pregnant or something. It was go for, go for it New Zealand. Go for it so New we're, Zealand. We were doing an interview with uh, Nikki Bray from Family Life, and I, I said to her, "Hey, are you worried about a baby boom here? Since couples are you know locked up Christmas babies for, yeah for four weeks." Uh, and she said, oh, well, it could go one of two ways. You get the, you get the families that are just really stressed and uh, the opportunity there is for, for stuff that's not so good to happen. But then it could go the other way. And I said, well, I've, as, a, as a married man, I know that uh, what produces baby is good stress relief. 
So go for it, New Zealand. Uh, and then Jack's, Jack's lost it. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't one of those, you know, in the hour, how if you're, if you're well before the end of the hour, you've got a chance if you're losing it just to go to the break. Yeah. The producer can just hit the button or you hit the button and you go to the break. We we're only two minutes away from the news. So we couldn't go to, the, we couldn't go to a break. Uh, so I had to make sure that we were able to get it back together. They were both laughing extremely hard yeah. and, and carry on. We managed to do it. But you know when the producer's bringing the music up really early, that they don't trust that you're going to be able to get it back. It was a great, it was a good moment. I remember. The other thing that's hilarious is when you, I, I won't mention names here or stations because I don't want to identify this person because it would embarrass them. Um, but I remember working in a, in a producer's role at a station and the person who was hosting got the name of the guest wrong. And rather than calling them Nairi, called them Negro, which is <laughs> potentially the worst thing you could say. Maybe there's one other N-word that would be slightly oh. worse, but not by much. And I was with someone else in the control room. And at exactly the same time, we both, so there was a, a, a desk in front of us with like computers around us. We both hit the deck with our heads on the desk because we lost it so hard, but we couldn't put them off. We didn't want to let them know what had just happened because they had no idea. So wow. yeah, rather than saying uh, Nairi, they said Negro. And I, it was, it was a... <laughs> One of those you don't whether, situations. You wonder how the how the brain's working in those times. Like where that comes from. It's yeah. like Simon Bridges when he accidentally called Paula Bennett called called her Paula Benefit. It's like where <laughs> did, what's going on in his brain where you're not thinking, you're just kind of an autopilot, and these things just just come out. Uh, yeah. Not anything you'd say if you were consciously considering it, but when you're an autopilot, it just happens. So does that therefore mean that's your it's maybe more of your truth? You know, like in, poli oh, in politics, and I remember saying this to Don Brash, in politics, people talk about what you do behind closed doors is not the public's interest. And I'm like, actually, what you do behind closed doors is your true and honest self. I actually would, not that I want, not that I'm using the, the statement like I want to know what's happening in the bedroom, which is when people use that thing. But in other words, what you do in private is actually really important because that reveals your true character. Yeah. I wonder what I you, so. if, if what you say when... Um, you're not thinking, you know, releases some of the, the real thing. So maybe, maybe Mr. Bridges there was thinking about how this person's been on the benefit a lot, or maybe that, who knows, but associates that person with the benefit. So that, that was a, a little natural position perhaps. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Which, which is why I think I'm getting to the point with my uh, public life, most particularly on Twitter, because I find Twitter a really interesting um, medium where there's a little bit of more, a little bit more of my, I don't know, slightly cheeky self uh, coming out a, a bit. Because any, anybody who knows me knows that my humor is just slightly off color. Um, but because of the, the position that I have, I've got to be careful where, where that gets shown. Because uh, for some people to hear off color jokes coming out of the mouth of a minister yep. is probably just a bridge too far. So you've got to take people on that journey. I don't know if I agree with you. I don't know if I agree with you. If I can relate it back to, uh, so for example, uh, everyone knows Bryce Edwards or knows of Bryce Edwards. You know, he's a political lecturer and commentator, was at Otago University and now is, I think, is at Victoria. One of the reasons I believe he is so successful and such a sought-after commentator, this is just my opinion, is that people know he's not one of the lecturers who goes, well, there's this side and there's this side. He actually takes mm. a position and he actually shares what he thinks 
Uh, and actually, I think that that's possibly one of the reasons he's so effective, especially in his uh, public life when he's commentating. People know the, I don't, I don't like the word bias necessarily, but the political perspective he comes from and he supports. And I quite like it. In fact, Frank, I've never said this to you, and, and perhaps this should be a conversation behind closed doors. Sometimes I, I, I in the past, I've, let's be honest, I haven't seen a lot of what uh, you've done in your role as a minister in the last few years but when it started off I'd look at a few times look at things that were being said and look at thoughts you were sharing thinking it feels like you're dancing down that middle line to be sort of not and I was, a couple of times I was like I, th- I think the Frank I know not feels a bit differently about this like if you asked him his personal opinion behind closed doors he'd go look I actually think xyz Whereas I wonder, and this is, as I said, probably an inappropriate conversation to have publicly, um, but I wonder <laughs> if the idea of actually sitting on the position that one believes in is actually the better for society position as opposed to sort of, and I'm not saying you personally are hedging bets, but sort of having to having to be careful not to offend one side to include everybody. You know mm. what I mean? I mean, you know that I, yeah. I made this product called Elephant TV a long time ago, and that's actually what I did. I spent a lot of time researching with people far far smarter than me. I remember sitting in a meeting of planning. Elephant TV was like a conversation for churches, for people who don't know it, which is everyone. Um, and, you know, there was like 20 PhDs in the room and me. So I was easily the dumbest dude in the room. Um, and everyone was like, this would be great. And we shared two perspectives. And, you know, we do one on, you know, war. So we, sh- we share the pacifist side and we share the this side and it'll be great. And so then I did it and all the churches went, oh, no, no, I wouldn't put that in front of my youth. I wouldn't put that perspective in front. So they actually it would have been more effective had I gone, you know what? I'm someone who has a uh, left-wing ideology, a progressive theology, whatever you want to say. Mm. And this is actually the position I'm putting out there. I think that would have been a more effective tool for helping someone rather than being, and this is now I'm talking about me here, not you, let's make that clear, um, sort of trying to provide a jack of all trades because then, as you know, you, you have the danger of becoming a master of none. Yeah, yeah. And I know I know that in media in particular, it's, it's one of their frustrations that you get some of some of the heads of churches on like bishops and stuff, and they, they won't give an opinion. They'll just uh, they'll just play both sides, and there there are some issues where I would do that. Part of it comes down to what what hills am I willing to die on? What do, what do mm-hmm. I want to be known for? And there are some issues that I think we just don't necessarily have the ability to have a nuanced conversation. And getting involved and offering an opinion is just going to then tar you with the brush that you're the person who thinks like that about that, and you won't get heard on on anything else. So if anything, I'm just going to start taking this off because it's quite hot. Um, oh, go for it, baby. <laughs> Speaking of naked, <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Now, 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 now. For people who are listening to this, Frank's just de- defrocking. Gosh, that's a harsh <laughs> word to use when you're talking about a, a minister being defrocked. Um, sorry, sorry, yeah, keep going. So, keep so going. On, on that, if there's, if there's issues where I feel like I'm vacillating a little bit these days when I'm more confident about who I am and what I, what I think, it's, it's probably just partly I, I don't want to, I don't want to die on that hill, yeah. so to speak. And that's yeah. pro- and that's probably very wise. I mean, I was talking to uh, Mike R- McRoberts yesterday, actually, and I said it's not about religion, but about not dying on that hill. When Trump said to a reporter, you're a third-rate reporter, I said to Mike, if I had been in that room, I, I don't think I would have been able to hold back, well, you're a fourth-rate president. You know, I just <laughs> be, because I'm immature and unprofessional. Yet, obviously, that reporter, if he had done that, would have died on that hill, and he wouldn't have been in that, you know, that room anymore, and he wouldn't have been able to do his job. So, I get it. Yeah, I get it. 
Man, you're really going yeah, down and, down and, for t-shirts. and having a having a it's really interesting being someone who has a media persona and a congregation because my congregation is relatively diverse and they're thinking on a whole number of things. Yep. Uh, and so there, there's issues where I will tell them exactly what I think about things. And then others where I just want them to go on the journey of learning to listen to each other and get along together. Yep. And if I if I threw my opinion on the table, it, it would railroad that process of them learning to do to do life together. And all of a sudden, one side would have me would seemingly have me with them where, yeah, that might be my view, but actually I, I'm, I'm with all of you here. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it's, and that's wise. I'm, I'm not wise. That's probably why I, I take the position I do because I also remember uh, speaking to another uh, minister. I never know what the term is. Dude who was in charge of a church. Is that the way you say That'll it? That'll do. Um, I like that one. And he was fairly, I guess you'd say progressive in his theology, but he was also someone who did kind of travel the world talking to religious organizations. And I remember talking to him about uh, live streaming or podcasting the services. And he was like, half the stuff I say in this building, I wouldn't want to get outside. And that's because he was speaking to a group who knew him, who knew his offhand jokes, who who could see him. You know, when you spend 52 weeks a year with someone uh, yeah. or, or in that group, you, you know how to read them. If you hear a one-off, uh, you know, I was going to say podcast, but um, broadcast, whatever the word is, one-off kind of sermon backed up to a website. You don't maybe know how to read that, and you can, you can. I mean, that's you can judge, and that's that's one of the reasons I used to get quite a lot when I was at working as ZB. I thought you were supposed to be a Christian when I said things that uh, was contrary to perhaps their perspective on what a Christian should be, and my response was always, "Well, depends what you mean by that. You tell me what you mean by that word, and then I'll tell you whether I fit into your definition." Um, yeah. There's a, I'm sure you've read it. There's a really good book that I can never remember the title of. It's either called Unchurched or Unchurched. It might be Unchurched. That's a book. Um, and it's a, it's, it's a research book. And it talks about research within millennials who are not part of the church. And there was, uh, it said something, it's between 85 and 92% of these millennials who were researched said you can replace the word Christian with hypocrite, judgmental, homophobe. Mm. And there was a couple other words. And so as someone working on ZB speaking to 100,000 people a week, because that, that was the audience of that show or those shows, I'm like, I don't want to give someone else the ability to label me. So I yeah. won't use these labels. And I still kind of try to avoid them today. I'm, I'm just me, you know. Yeah. I just describe yeah. myself as me. Yeah. And, I, and I, think, I think those labels can be unhelpful. Uh, I, also yeah, think, can be. I also think they can, um, they can be the opposite as well if, you, if they're used correctly. They can be... They can cause you to, you know, have fun and feel like together and like a group, but they can also be weaponized. So it depends yeah, how you want to use them. They can. One of the one of the big challenges of of me and what I what I do is I know that no matter what, people have a preconception. Uh, so they might see my profile on Twitter uh, or on Facebook. They see the collar. They've got a preconception of what I what it must be all about, and you can see that playing out in in tweets regularly, mm -hmm. especially Twitter. Um, people diving in on subjects that are completely unrelated with whatever their favorite gotcha beef is about Christianity. <laughs> they've, they've got that preconception. And there's an element where I've, I've, I've decided that it's partly my role to, to be in, in that mix. So I remember sitting down with one person recently and we were talking about the, the idea of subverting the expectations. So one of the things that I quite enjoy is that once people get to, get to know me, I believe all the traditional stuff, but once they get to know me, it doesn't quite fit the 
at the box uh, and it, uh, there's a I feel a, a sense of a chance to help people not I'm not interested in trying to make people believe as I do but the chance to reshape some of some of those perceptions I think is, is really healthy and good mm -hmm. and I enjoy that process partly because the most important thing I do on a Sunday and this isn't going to make sense to people who don't believe one of the most important things I do is holy communion it's the the table where you get to come and you get to uh, participate in what's a, an accessible way to say this the offering of God uh, so to speak no matter what I believe about anything my theology says that at that table is open we could completely disagree on stuff but if you walk in the door and you're participating you're welcome to come to that table uh, and since that table is the central part of how we gather that's a really big deal it doesn't matter if we disagree on this other stuff I want you to know and how you've interacted with me that you're welcome at that table it's interesting the idea about um doesn't matter if we disagree on this other stuff i think that within you know my well i was gonna say actually i was gonna say 20 years plus but probably whole life seeing like i spent the first 20 years of my life in the catholic church um a long association with with religion it seems that there there is not a lot in my opinion there's not a lot of things that a lot of people sort of need to agree to to be a part of mm. the part of the group for want of a better word whereas in fact uh, our old mate john cowan used to say quite a lot that i like god uh, his, his friends are a bit more of a question though that it seems that <laughs> that um that um the it's it's the modern day pharisaical sort of thing that you got, got to follow all these rules and do yeah. all these things and live all these ways to be a part of the team and i'm just like dude that's that's not the that's not the faith or the religion or whatever that I that I would ever want to be a part of. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think about I think about the story of Jesus and I think about um, yeah, this guy that spent three years camping with his twelve best mates. <laughs> you know, I love that. I love that. And, and those twelve best mates were reasonably reasonably dodgy. Like yeah. you think about you think about the the Last Supper, and one of the, one of the big stories about the Last Supper is Jesus washing his disciples' feet before they before they have the meal. Now you think about who he was doing that for. You've got Peter, the guy who's about to deny him, and Jesus has told him he's going to deny him when yeah. push comes to shove. You've got a whole lot of people who are about to run away. You've got Judas, who's there in that moment. He's totally welcome, who's about to betray him. Uh, like that set of characters there that he decides to hang out with to serve in that moment and then to have a meal with, they're a dodgy bunch. Now, if they're all welcome at the table, why would I exclude anybody yep. from that table? Yeah. Unless they're a right-wing evangelical from America, then you can exclude them. Yeah, yeah, that's probably my biggest struggle, but I've got to get over that too. <laughs> but actually, with a smile set on the face and a bit of a laugh, that's actually, I think, when we talk about his friends, quote-unquote friends, that's some of the biggest hurdles for people to understand what this, what this faith yeah. process is all about, is these people who want to fight for the rights of the unborn child, but then once the child is born, they won't let them go on welfare, at the same time supporting uh, wars that are bombing children in other countries it's just like what you just yeah yeah that that, that total sell out <laughs> to the to political power at almost at almost any any cost and you and you and saw it, and you saw the worst of it when trump got elected because all of a sudden yeah. all, all these people who were pro-family and anti-divorce and you know saying together then got behind a a a like I'm aware that the audience that may join uh, may be a bit different today because because you're with us, so I won't, won't use the words that I would use in case it offends them. You know, I'll be aware. I'll try and be a bit mature. <laughs> but who decided to follow a, a P word grabbing 
probably someone who's paid for a series of abortions to some, you know, people who has worked under him. Um, liar, cheater, stealer, who now looks like he's trying to usurp the whole country by bringing in an archaic law to cancel Congress so he can bring some more judges in. It's just unfathomable. Oh, yeah. And, the, and I, re, I really struggle. Like, I would I'd say that I hold to a consistent life ethic. Uh, with lots of nuance in there for for the for the very real struggles that people people go through, but I would say that I want my instinct, uh, allowing for the nuance to be the flourishing of human life from, from conception to natural death. Problem is that we're often compartmentalizing along that way, but it means that. I want to help mothers uh, who feel like they're in a situation where they might need to make a choice for abortion with no, no sense of condemnation about where they're at. I'm anti the death penalty. I'm pro-social welfare. I'm for promoting voices of peace rather than trying to find the justifications for war. I want the best palliative care we can possibly have, and I want us to invest in it well at the other end. But unless we're demonstrating that consistency, then why would anybody listen to us when we're raising our voice at that end or or that in. I just think it's about walking the walk as well. It's yeah. like uh, you talk about uh, what you were mentioning about taking positions. I think about doing things. You know, I remember, I, I can't remember who it is or who it was, and I'm going to do them a disservice. Um, oh, well, well, let's talk about Mike Hercock. I've got a mate, Mike, Mike Hercock in, in Australia, who was a, one of the guys behind, is it called the 100 Chaplains or the 100 Priests Walk? And mm. they went into the Hero Parade, 100 of them, and their job in the Hero Parade was to say sorry. Sorry, mm. sorry, you know, and, and that says, speaks more to me than any position, vocalized position. I remember at the Hero Parade in Auckland, not to bang on the Hero Parade, I'm sure at one stage it was going to get cancelled because of costs of cleanup and a, a church group offered to do the cleanup afterwards. And it's like just looking after people, it doesn't matter who they are, where they are, what their beliefs are, their ideology, you know, what income bracket they're in, what they think of this, you know, all-knowing God that, that people talk about, just serving people and helping. And that speaks far more to me than it does. even even taking, I mean, not saying that we don't, you know, I mean, you and I love a good debate or a good conversation about taking positions, but the, the, the doing, you know, it's, the, it's that, you know, when words and actions disagree, you believe the actions, you know, the actions speak, well, what's the saying? Louder than words sometimes. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that for me is at the heart of uh, what I do with, the media chaplaincy work that I do, you know, I've been around media long enough to know now how how many Christians are engaging, and it's it's it's, it's not healthy, uh, and it's it's not healthy and it's not helpful. But I, I think many of us, many Christians now, we're coming out of a out of an era where Christianity, to a degree, whether it was exerting it and trying to or not, controlled the narrative. People roughly all had an idea of what it is that Christians believe. We informed the moral fabric. Uh, but over the last number of decades, that's been stripped away. Mm -hmm. So now we're getting to this position of somewhat cultural powerlessness. But rather than going, how do we readjust to this? And how do we serve from a position of powerlessness? A lot of people just want to regain and, and just have that, that power back. So they send in their complaints, they rant and rave, they wave their uh, placards because they've lost power and they want to they get it back. Rather than going, actually, this one that we follow embraced powerlessness to the point of going to uh, the cross so what does it mean what does it mean for us to engage like that so the media work that i do was about going well actually i really like i really like these people who work in the media how do we how do we serve rather than how do i turn them into into people that just 
think and believe like me. And that seems to be, I always find it interesting that you're talking about the church of recent times. I think you're probably right. You know, when the original, and I'll, I'll talk about the, the, the church and the original church, you know, being 2000 years ago, based around the, the baby in a manger story as accurate and factual. And there'll be lots of people who disagree with me, but looking at that story, looking at those, um, the way they did it then, it was all very outward looking. You know, if you read, for example, the book of Acts, I remember uh, someone once talking about it and, and I remember they went through the things that you need to do to have like a church service or a community. And one of the things was be a party people, you know, that was celebrating. It was bringing people in. It was eating. It was it was looking outward. And I think the church of the last, well, let's say the Pentecostal church, the church movement since the you know, 50s and 60s has become very inward looking. You know, it used to be, I want to come out and be with you. And now it's like, you should come in and be like us. And I think that's a, a huge ball that's been dropped. And all, no criticism of any one church, but in religion, you know, bigger picture, in general, that's become much more insular and inward looking. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think I think the church has always been a, a mixed bag. Uh, so I don't know if I'd entirely agree with that, but but I think because of the changes we've been through in New Zealand, I think there's a strong case to be to be made for that. I love the mention of of partying there. Obviously, yeah. one of the one of the big hangups that people have is the idea of tithing and churches uh, giving money. And a bunch of the interviews that I've that I've done recently um, about online church, uh, I've almost constantly been asked, uh, so how are you doing the whole giving thing? How are you passing the plate around? I've told my people that actually if they're struggling through this, give less. Yeah. Uh, most of our people give via AP because I keep forgetting to talk about money on Sunday, but I've told them <laughs> if you're struggling uh, to give less. But the, the whole tithe thing in itself is fascinating because you get churches, you're like, oh, well, that means that you have to give 10% of whatever you earn. But in the Old Testament, that tithe was used for many things. It was used to help fund the priesthood, which was different uh, in ancient Israel because it was the center of society. It mm. functioned. It, mm. it made the decisions. It was almost the political structure as well. So it needed to be funded. It's where the poor got fed from. Uh, so the tithe was used to feed the poor. One of the other things it was used for was a party in Jerusalem. Regularly, everybody would gather in Jerusalem and the tithe would be used to fund this massive party. Uh, so I'm all for churches who take some of their funding every now and then and use it for, for shared lunches and put on meals and just have a good time together. I think the, the tithing question, um, there's a few questions that people throw at churches, in my opinion, that are sort of red herrings. And I think the tithing is one of the ones. Someone asked me about that once and I said to them, well, how does the golf course pay to be a golf course? How do they pay the greenskeepers? How do they pay for the power in the clubhouse? How do they pay for the water? And the answer is that those that are a part of that golf course contribute mm. fees or subs. And I think that there's been such a hang up around people like, you know, Brian Tamaki and the prosperity type things that are shown that people now kind of go, what the, why should they get any money at all? Why should they get any money at all? And it's like, well, if churches choose to have a building that has power, if they choose to have staff that work there, where is the money coming from? It's coming from the people who are a part of that organization. No different from any other, let, let's say, not-for-profit or uh, non-commercialized business. So I just, I, th I think it's a, I think it's a red yeah. herring. It's like it's the, yeah. the, the subs for the golf course come from the golf course members. The subs from the church need to come from the church members because it's not commercial. That, that's where yeah. it comes from.
Yeah, that, that's what I tell our people. I tell them, look, I'm not, you're not going to hear me talk about tithing uh, because of the, all the hang-ups that have gone with that. If you're looking for a guide on how much to give and you're starting out, that's probably a fairly good uh, guide. Uh, I'm not going to promise you blessings uh, based on the money that you're giving, which I think is some of where some of the hang up is too. But as a church, we have expenses. Those expenses are kept to a minimum. But if you consider this your community and you get some sort of value from it, I hope that you'd help us meet uh, our expenses. I don't see what anybody gives. I don't know how much anybody gives. Um, but That's we, smart. we've got a number of people have come out of quite strong evangelical backgrounds where they've heard giving messages all the time. So they have this aversion to it. And almost every time I say, look, here's how it is, without all the, all the riffraff that they've heard before, giving almost goes up every time because we just sound a whole lot more relaxed about the, the whole thing. Mm -hmm. There's the sense of uh, not, not bothered. Uh, it seems to work. Sometimes... Sometimes church people are wound so tightly that yes. they need to just chill. I remember speaking to a, a younger sister of a friend of mine, just trying to explain to her, just just say shit once. Just like, just swear once. Just say one swear word. Honestly, it will release something in you that will, it'll make you feel a lot better. And um, she couldn't do it, couldn't do it, couldn't do it, couldn't do it. And like <laughs> two months later, I got a text or a message from her saying, I swore today, oh, it wasn't that bad. It felt exhilarating. And like, I wasn't trying to do it to turn her into a, you know, a sailor that effing, effing blinding every second word. But, you know, these rules, these rules, these rules around, yeah. around what we need to be and who we need to be and how we need to act. It's, I just, I, I can't do it. I just can't yeah. do it. And, and, and maybe that's to my detriment long term. Maybe I'm not mature enough to, to be able to do it, but I can't. And, and, and I, I love Dunedin uh, to death, but coming from a much larger community to a much smaller community, the opportunity to do sort of um, time with people in an organized way is far reduced here. And so mm. I'm, I think it's kind of something that it's not, I, I don't know if that's going to be a part of my future anytime soon. I just don't know. Mm. Yeah, everybody's everybody's on their journey, yeah. mate. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating. Like, uh, I mean, we, we could sound like we're overly critical of the church here, and and I'm a minister because I because I love it. I love the church. I love the story. I love what happens when people are able to really encounter that story of Jesus and and get on board with it. But the story of Jesus. But I, I've I've found, and and I believe in things like prayer and and the beauty of of scripture and and all its mess, and the sharing of of who we are and a faith is is part of that for you. Then the sharing of that I think is a is a valuable thing. But I've noticed with our people that who have come out of backgrounds where those things were pressed that you have to you have to do these things. The more I've been able to say, hey, look, whether you pray or not. You're still good with God. Mm -hmm. Whether you study your Bible daily or not, you're still good with God. These are wonderful things, but you're still good with, with God. Uh, the more I've been able to help them relax and then introduce them to some less pressured ways of, of engaging these things just by modeling it, uh, the more they do it. There's this counterintuitive thing playing out where I'm going, hey, look, don't worry about it. It's a wonderful thing, but you're still good with God. And the more you actually just understand you're still good with God, the more you're probably going to want to do these things uh, anyway, as opposed to this is what you have to do. And who wants to do what they have to do? It's like it's like the, the stuff that we hear about the Bible, you know, little pithy phrases like basic instructions before leaving earth or the textbook for life. 
who wants to engage with some sort of textbook on a regular basis? Where if you go, actually, this is just a messy collection of writings and stories about humanity and God. Uh, don't worry about what you have to think about those, but let's read them together and find it really interesting. The more I find people engage and we have some great discussions. So even that, I would imagine you describing it as a messy collection. Even just those words, I'm sure some people will rally against that because, you know, some people would consider it, you know, a, a perfect piece of literature ordained and written by the Lord God Almighty Himself, and to, to deem it as messy as disrespectful. Like, you know what I mean? It can it can go on and yeah, on and yeah. on and on and on and on. I, yeah, I, and people I, can misunderstand me. People can misunderstand me there. Like, I hold to those. I hold to those traditional ideas. I believe Scripture is inspired by the Spirit and written by written by human hands. Uh, but I want people to engage with it and layering this kind of very straight way of understanding it doesn't invite people into participating with it whereas as soon as i say this is a messy collection of stories and writings that's that in my mind is a slight i would want to read that uh, i think so that i think that's more inviting what i've heard you just say if i can paraphrase it back to you i think that's one of the things that i think really doesn't work in the church as a broader body at the moment and that is that there are so many organizations people churches that say this is the way to do it. And I think that's a real hindrance because, I mean, you see that with colonization, for example, you know, and it's a little bit like I talked about before of recent times, the church, in my opinion, has said, be like us rather than we we should be like you. I mean, you imagine if a colonized country, I mean, there's, a, there's some lovely stories about, you know, read Bible and Treaty by Keith Newman as an example for what happened when New Zealand was uh, was colonized. And I, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's all good, obviously. Don't want to hear any texts or tweets from people saying that I'm an apologist for you know theft of a country. People who know me know that's not the case. Um, but imagine if those early missionaries had to come here and gone, uh, we've got the story to tell you. Let's be like you. Learn how you tell your stories and then we'll, we'll tell you about it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I, yeah. I, it's, it's like the migrant story that I used to get on ZB all the time. I've, I've told this story before. You know, you get your typical, um, well, let's just be blunt, redneck, you know, elderly caller, phone in, going, oh, you know, these migrants, they should, you know, we should be one people, we should be one people. And my response to them was, well, there's, there's, there's a couple of ways you can be one people. One is you can force them to be like you, or two is you could be like them. Would you be happy to be like them? And they were like, no, 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 no. And so I said, well, so you're not asking to be one people because that's a solution. You're actually asking for just people to be like you. And then they'd also say, you know, they, they stick to their own kind and they, they, they don't integrate into community. And I would very simply say, well, when was the last time you asked this new migrant family to your neighborhood around for dinner? Because typically the way you get into a community or you get into someone's house or circle is you open the door. You know, and it's and 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 that that doesn't seem to be. I don't know whether it's a a, a natural thing or a learned thing or a a European thing, and perhaps some uh, indigenous cultures don't quite think that way. I don't know, but I always think that idea of you know me being like you. The the probably the most effective people who speak to young people um, are people who learn to be like a young person, learn their culture. People who most effective speak to well, whatever group learns to be like them. Mm. Well, there's a there's a basic premise that that I live by. That it, there's this idea that God is at work everywhere, all the time. And if I'm going to use the language that I'm most familiar with, the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit is there uh, ahead of me. So when I sit down with someone, I believe that 
God's spirit is actually already at work. This is a person created in the image of God. The, the spirit's there. It's not my job to uh, to treat this person like some godless riffraff that needs to be knocked over the head and dragged back to my church. It's my job to connect with whatever's already going going on there. The God's already up to something. Now, sometimes that that connection might be overt and it might be a discussion about spirituality, but very often it, it might not be. It might be something else. So I think if the missionaries had been able to come here with the assumption that actually the culture they were encountering, uh, as with all cultures, there might be some stuff going on that's not so good. Same with European culture. But if the assumption is the Holy Spirit is already here, where, uh, I think they would have seen something very different. In Māori culture, I can see lots of parallels with ancient Israeli culture, for instance, mm -hmm. ancient Israelite culture. There's that indigenous element where story and family and lineage are uh, mountain and river. All these things are, are mirrored there. God was already here. It's just a question of what was he up to and do I have the ability to see it, celebrate it, name it, connect with it. And I think there was too much of the assumption, and I think it goes on now as well, too much of the assumption of God's not there, God is here with me, so I need to get them over to where I am. Yeah, well, I guess that's a, a much more eloquent, intelligent, and more polite way of saying them be like us. Like I'm a, I'm a, you have to think I'm a one-syllable guy, but yeah, way, <laughs> the way you sound, it sounds much better, Frank. Hey, um, <laughs> Thanks, your, your media chaplaincy, I, I was intrigued when you started doing this, and you've said it a couple of times during this, but just to explain... You're, the way I think about it, and you correct me if I'm wrong, is you're kind of acting as a chaplain. You know, other people would think about think think about a chaplain in a hospital. That's a pretty easy way to do it. A chaplain in a hospital is sort of a universal religious figure for all the patients in the hospital and perhaps the staff as well. So a media chaplaincy is sort of a universal religious figure for all yep. the people in media. Is 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 that an okay description of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So just, just like in a hospital, a chaplain would be someone who doesn't necessarily have a hugely defined role, but is there to wander around, offer care, to listen to people uh, where they're at, to not solve their problems, but to be the one who's who's in the mix with them. And that that person usually has a faith, and that faith can play a part in the conversation somehow, if, it, if it's appropriate. Uh, I would play that role. I'm the person who's loosely in the mix. I happen to be a minister. Uh, I'm there to listen. Uh, I'm there to to support and to give space. That's about it. But you've put your hand up for that, and you've made it known that that's who you are. So, for example, um, I think on the the eve of um, Easter Friday, you're on the project. Is that right? But but what I'm saying is, you are providing something to the media, and it now seems also the media is coming back to you, going. Um, oh, you know, this is a guy who can talk to us about God stuff. Is that is that kind of what's happening as well? And how does that? So, so I guess what I'm saying, like, I, I, again, I won't mention names, but I have been in a newsroom, literally, I mean, without exaggeration, where a Christian quote unquote Christian story has come up, and I've heard people say, "Oh, get insert name here," which I won't say. He's a crazy Christian. He'll give us good good talent. You know? Yeah. People might know who I'm talking about when I'm saying it because it's in the last 10 years sort of thing. Um, but basically considering the person they want to have on air is to be the basic, basically the nutter Christian, that, that's not the role that you've got and that's not the role that I think the media is looking to you for. How does it feel being the person to kind of, on some level, be the voice, pa uh, voice I mean you are, you're sort of the voice of the Christian faith and that involves many denominations and many high profile media outlets. 
yeah yeah it's a it's an interesting it's an interesting balance um and i guess my hope is and i can't speak for the people who are inviting me to to talk but my hope is that as trust has built in the background and it's understood that i'm also a broadcaster yeah yeah that i might have the ability to give them what they need without being a nutter yeah because uh, because ultimately you need someone on the you need someone on the air who's going to be interesting now obviously one of the easiest ways to get that is to put a nutter on the screen but if you can get that without putting the nutter on the screen then that's the better person to to turn to so i think because of broadcast experience i offer i offer i i have that to offer yeah and i don't i'd like me just make clear i i i and i think i have made this clear but i'll make it doubly clear my feeling when I see or hear you on very media sellers is they're not looking for the nutter. So it's quite good yeah. that that has changed and you've sort of, you know, they've got a question about religion in general. They kind of come to you. What, what about that role as the chaplaincy, you know, to think about the hospital chaplain, if there was a person of faith in the hospital that wasn't of Christian denomination, often the chaplain would still, you know, be there to help out that person. Do you find that at all? If someone wants, like, are you having interactions with uh, Jewish people, with Muslims, with uh, Baha'i people coming to you as a uh, religious figure, as a as a chaplain type uh, situation? I don't think I don't think the media is diverse enough in its in its religious expression to have a lot of a lot of that. Right. Um, I would happily sit down with anybody. If anything, most of the people that I deal with would be agnostic or atheist, um, as opposed to a completely different uh, religion. Um, there are people that I interact with of other faiths, uh, and we get along. We get along well. Uh, but by and large, the people I interact with would be agnostic, atheist, or spiritually curious. Right. Um, so I'm interacting with people who have completely different views from me, and I I enjoy it. I've uh, my my borders whilst I, whilst I'm solid about what it is that I believe, uh, my borders are very porous in a sense. I'm I'm happy to sit down and have anybody at the table to break bread, with no sense that at the end of the day you have to believe what it is that that I believe. Um, coming back to the, you mentioned something about being the the face or the voice of of Christianity. That that's a that's a really interesting one too, especially over this last couple of weeks, to have been thinking about. Because there's an element where, you know, I wear a clerical collar. So when people see me, they see a Christian. Yep. And that person then becomes the face of Christianity. Yep. There's an element where I take that on and I hope that it shifts how, how some people understand uh, faith or how they might be willing to engage with someone who believes when all their engagement before might have been headlines about a particular brand of Christianity or mm -hmm. a particular way of, of thinking. My hope is that there's a shift in perception there. But there's another element too where I don't take that on board too much uh, because then I might start not actually giving me my opinion as we talked about before. You know, if, if I have right. the responsibility of representing the whole, then you almost start to say nothing because the whole is so diverse. There's no way any one person can represent the, of the course. whole. But, but that I think without trying to label you, I mean, if I think about, let's say the last two or three weeks, right? probably would be fair to say that you are the most listened to viewed representative of the Christian faith that's been on New Zealand mainstream media, you know, whether it be RNZ or uh, the uh, project or whatever it is, there's probably no one else that's been on more than you talking about it. Would that be fair? 
yeah, I would I would say especially especially this last two weeks, I would say that that is probably easily the case. Just last Thursday alone, uh, I did five different interviews. The the people who would have either heard me or eyeballed me last Thursday Friday yep. would have numbered in the hundreds of thousands. Yeah. I would I would imagine. Uh, I try not to think about that too much, but but it would have been up there. Well, dude, just don't freak out too much. But right now, there are about three people watching us on YouTube. So <laughs> I love it. And see, this is this is where I I don't stay strong. Give a, Stop sweating. I don't. <laughs> this is where I don't actually give a rip. Like my, what's amusing about the whole media engagement thing is that my church on a Sunday, I think. The biggest we've got to is maybe 49, 50 people. Like I have a, in the scheme of churches, I have a, I have a pretty small church. And so to be the voice of Christianity to a degree with a really tiny church, I just find wonderfully ironic, but beautiful. It seems that um, you've been doing it for a couple of years. Is that about right? The chaplaincy? Uh, I think, well, in my head, it's always three years, but I was on Media Take five years ago, oh, okay. and that was just after we started it. So actually, it's been about five years. I was wondering, and I'm sure this is a bit of a boring question because it's probably the thing that you have spoken about many times before, but you obviously went to Christchurch after the, the massacre last year. Uh, and I'm, I'm happy to, when I say happy to, happy to, I'd like to hear your experiences around that. But what I was also wondering was, I mean, you go to Christchurch to be the media chaplain people are talking about what we're going through right now being we're in a war like basically aligning you know nurses today and doctors today with soldiers in the 1940s they're the frontline workers they're the ones that most wrecked etc 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 obviously just over a year ago i guess you could say the worst singular event that's ever happened in new zealand happened or two New Zealanders, the singularly worst event happened. What's the vibe like talking to people in the media around this coronavirus COVID-19 situation? Um, gosh, I was about to say, which arguably is worse. I can't say that. I don't, I, I don't want to say that. But No, it's, very, it's actually just very different. Yeah, which, so, it, which is very different and, and, and long life, ongoing and, you know, yeah. is killing people, um, but isn't doesn't have that immediacy of a you know a massive gun attack uh, yeah what's the difference and, and what are you seeing speaking to journalists then as a chaplain mm -hmm. versus what's coming up now yeah what I, what I dealt with a lot in Christchurch because I landed the next morning the morning after the massacre was adrenaline like uh, journalists the journalists that I managed to encounter were totally jacked up on adrenaline mm -hmm. uh in shock and if anything, I was just aiming to be a slightly calming presence where they could just let off a little bit of steam uh, if they needed to. Um, and then, of course, following on from that, you then deal with the, the arc of trauma. Um, whereas this, this is very different. Uh, and I've not encountered anything like it before. So you've got the people who have lost their jobs and there are hundreds of people in our media. It's right, good yeah. for New Zealand to know this with all the moaning about the media that's going on. There are hundreds of people in the media who have lost their job. When you consider Bauer Media, over 200 jobs gone. NZME, me. You think 200. about NZME with yeah. 200 jobs gone. Radio Sport has disappeared. Uh, when you think about all the freelancers around the country who are writing columns who have now lost those, those columns, there are a lot of people who have just, in a matter of a couple of weeks, disappeared from the output of the industry. 
that's really hard to grapple with. It's hard to grapple with for those who have lost their jobs. Then it's hard to grapple with the people who have kept their jobs and now having to take pay cuts and are trying to work out how to keep the output going uh, during this time, which they need to be. They need to be pumping out a lot of information. Um, so I haven't had a chance to talk to loads of reporters yet. I think it's going to probably ramp up once everything frees up a little bit and they and the country really start to get to see what impact this has actually had because we're all a little bit sheltered from it at the moment mm. that includes reporters to a degree so i think the the fatigue of it the shock of it and the realization that i've got to keep doing my job in the middle of it i think that'll probably really come to the fore once we're out of level three once we get to start moving around and interacting a little bit more most of my work over the last couple of weeks has been less of going one-on-one -on -one with journalists and just actually helping out where I can by offering comment for, for stories, right. just trying to help with content. Um, do you have you know, the equivalent of a Rolodex where you know, you've been speaking to this journalist twice a year based around after Christchurch and going to catch up with them in the next couple of weeks? Have you seen in your, in your, in your phone contacts that there are people who you have spoken to in the past before who are some of those people who have lost their jobs and are they going to be people you're connecting with you know now that they're i guess technically out of media how does that all work yeah now most most of the people that i've, I've connected with over the last number of years are, are still are still there because a lot of them are frontline people so they're not the sort of people who would who would lose their lose their jobs right um but going through the situation that MediaWorks went through a number of years ago with Mark Weldon, where a whole bunch of them Ugh. were losing losing their jobs, uh, I was around for that. I was in the mix for that. And so I ended up talking to a lot of people, making relationships with people who were losing their jobs. I think that'll probably happen here as well. As, as, the, as the hardness of losing your job hits, there are probably some of those people that I'll end up catching up with. The irony of that is I'm a media chaplain but in a situation like this, it's people exiting the media that I end up spending some of my some of my time with, uh, and I'm more than happy to do that. Um, you know, you've got people who have been in the media for years; it's all they're known, and now they're having to think about what else what mm. else they do. Uh, and I see a lot of people blaming the media for not changing and moving quick enough, and the need to restructure. All that I think people need to shut up. All that aside, there are people who are losing their jobs here. Whatever your beef with the media these are human beings who are losing their jobs working hard doing their best whatever you think about that let's have that discussion afterwards what does it mean to just care right now i think actually the criticisms that you just said people are laying at the feet of the media about not moving i actually think that's criticism that should be laid at the feet of the audience because i mean yeah. since doing since doing this for the last uh, well two since 2018 um i've come up against the New Zealand public hasn't moved away from that traditional media like the rest of the world has. There have been the non-traditional new media, and I kind of call this sort of thing new, new media, because we're not just a banner ad on a, on a website, but I'm finding that the way media has moved, especially in America, is five years ahead of us and, and our audiences are the ones who haven't moved. So if the audiences haven't moved away, of course the media groups haven't moved as well because that's how it works. The media group will follow the trend. The media group mm. won't set the trend because they're not going to go to a place where there's no audience. So at the moment there's, there's yeah. So I actually think the reason that the, maybe the media hasn't moved is more because of what the demand from the New Zealand public has been, which means yeah. if you're going to point the finger, 
point it there, not at the media yeah. groups providing it. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't think the consumer quite understands how much power they have in terms of shaping the media. Once you get outside of RNZ and TVNZ, uh, publicly funded media, it's the consumer that drives pretty much everything else. Yeah. Uh, because advertising revenue, revenue will follow will follow audience numbers. So what you're clicking on, even if it's because it's something you hate, what you're clicking on is defined defines what the media is going to going to look like. Uh, and that, so the consumer needs to shift things and the, the Facebook, uh, and Twitter, but Facebook in particular plays a big part here because the algorithms that define what you're seeing in your feed, which is where most people are getting their news from is having a massive, it's having a massive impact. And but it's what you, it's what you engage go, with. Yeah. 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 So I think the consumer needs to go, what sort of media do I want? And, and then start engaging that type of media so that the revenue would then follow that type of media. So here's something, and I was talking to Mike McRoberts yesterday, and I asked him the question about TV. He was, it was a great conversation. I was thinking, oh, this is, he's probably the face of TV3. Maybe he won't want to share his thoughts, but I asked him about TVNZ and RNZ because I know there's been a lot of uh, concern in some commercial sense that those media groups might get dwarfed by this big public broadcaster. But Mike said something really interesting yesterday, which I love, and I'm gonna, I'm not gonna repeat what he said exactly. I'm gonna bounce off what he said and make make a point. Is that probably the best thing? Speaking of jobs and security, that the government could do for media in New Zealand at the moment is turn TVNZ and RNZ into a BBC style um, situation. Because what that then means is, if people want to advertise, they have to go to Prime and TV3 mm. and other places. So actually, becoming a public broadcaster secures the fourth estate secures the um the idea of you know well-funded journalism at all levels but it also sends the advertising dollar to a a smaller group hence helping sustain them and i'm just like that is genius yeah, like as a, as a consumer i was like oh, i'm down for this bbc style one years and i know that you know the 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 fantastic irony of jesse mulligan who i loved a bits used to work in the same company as him at More FM. So, but making comments about the BBC style thing being bad for commercial while he's working at RNZ, which I thought was kind of hilarious. Um, but I, I, as a consumer, I'm like, that'd be great. I, I'm down for a, you know, a, a free-to-wear, publicly funded, no advertising, no commercial entity. Um, yeah, and Mike actually said the country needs it. As a, yeah, as a, and I would entirely agree. As long as it cannot compete for the advertising dollar as TVNZ yeah. does does now, I'm totally I'm totally for it for that reason. So then private business dollars get sent back to private media uh, industry. Yep. And listening to watch, watching the uh, epidemic response committees meeting the other day, which was focused in on media and hearing from the heads of media, you got this real sense that for private media in particular. They have a very symbi symbiotic relationship with business because business is hurting now. They're hurting. Yeah. But in order for business to be able to come back too, they need to be able to advertise with those private uh, media entities to get people to come back. Those two things exist together. When business goes off to a publicly funded entity, mm -hmm. it's 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 doing something that's actually reasonably unnatural. 
So if we can create an entity that is bigger, serves everybody well in the public interest and pushes the advertising dollar to where it most naturally sits, that's yep. going to help everybody. Yep, I agree. And perhaps the, the difference uh, with that conversation now versus when they first floated the idea of the public broadcaster is maybe the commitment the government needs to make is no advertising at all. Because at one stage they were saying TV1 becoming sort of the commercial free public entity, but TV2 still being commercial. If the government actually went, you know, BBC1, BBC2, not calling it that obviously, but you know what I mean, TVNZ1, TVNZ2, and it was all commercial free, then from our taxpayers we support that and from the private sector we have a healthy and robust opposition to that as well. And I... Yeah, I, I think that was really insightful and I hadn't thought of that before from what Mike said yesterday. And um, I guess as someone who works for TV3, he said this is his 19-year anniversary this week. It's also beneficial for, for what they're trying to do there as well. I think it'd be great. Yeah, yeah. there are a couple of other things that came up in that uh, Epidemic Response Committee meeting that I think were really good too. Uh, one of them is the merger of ZME and stuff. Mm. Um, recognizing that both of those have fundamental changes that they need to make to keep going. They, they fundamentally need to change. But in order to give them the time to be able to go on that journey, that, merges, that merger probably needs to happen. The other one that I really liked that pretty much all of them pushed for, including the newer ones like the likes of Newsroom and Spinoff, yep. was more funding into New Zealand on air that everybody could compete for on a level playing field. So I think there's some Whilst there's long-term changes, systemic changes that need to happen, I think there's some early things the government can do to change the field in order to give everybody the time that they need to make, make the systemic changes. Merger of TVNZ and Radio New Zealand being one, beefing up uh, New Zealand on air, and allowing the merger of NZME and stuff. I think those are fairly simple things to do. I think I also think that uh, one can help the other. So, for example, if TVNZ went to the public broadcaster, then the beefing up of New Zealand on air might not be quite so needed because you've got the commercial entity left over to go to the other guys as well. I think also educating the... I don't know how to do this, but educating the audience as to, you know, especially the business or the B2B business people that actually putting your money in places like spin-off and like newsroom and like podcasts and stuff is actually a really effective place to put your advertising and not just, you know, hear the sales rep from radio station XYZ mm. and, and thinking that's the best best way to do it. So I don't, I don't know whether that can be a governmental kind of inquiry as to that, but this it, I'm, I'm interested when we come out of this. See, people, I don't want to say people like me, I'm not trying to talk about myself, but people who are, who are making content currently and doing it themselves and basically funding it themselves and paying for it themselves are still going to be doing it at the end of this when places like Radio Sport and that have disappeared. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that in a gleeful way, I'm just saying it in a factual way. So to be able to figure out how to keep these groups, and let's use Spinoff as an example because they're utterly brilliant at everything bar television, he says tongue-in-cheek, um, to have support for those ones to continue on as well. Now, whether that is through New Zealand On Air or whether that is through helping divert advertising to them from an advertising agency you know is it about educating the advertising agencies in america there is a, a group called midroll and there's one in australia called acast i think and their their only jobs are to deliver advertisers to podcasts that's mm. it that's what they that's do right. midroll in america um surveyed three hundred thousand of its own customers to get all sorts of research about how effective advertising on podcasting is 
But that's all they do. They just they just provide. So anytime you hear a, a Joe Rogan or whatever talking about butcher block and stuff, it's probably come through, you know, somewhere like mid roll. That, that's that's yeah. what they do. And maybe yeah. maybe no, maybe that needs to happen. Maybe the agencies need to start funneling money through to other sources which are not radio, uh, TV, print. Yeah. I, th I think I think the consumer can start rethinking it too. I, th I think the whole online environment has created this uh, this sense that you just shouldn't have to pay for any of it. Whereas once upon a time, you would pay for your newspaper. You'd pay yeah. a, a licensing fee to be able to uh, watch the watch the television. Yeah. I mean, both you and I in the last couple of days have started Patreon accounts. Uh, now, for you, that that's <laughs> making sure that what you what you have freely available. Uh, people have the opportunity to support that quite directly if they want. Whereas I've, I'm being a little cheekier. I'm hoping that, you know, exclusive content will be a bit of a pull for people. But this is where the consumer can go, actually, we value what you, what you do, and we are willing to throw a few dollars a month uh, behind that, rather than just assuming that we should be able to get it for free. If you like what's being created, find very direct ways to be able to support it. Yeah, and look, I, <laughs> I hadn't talked about this. I've talked about this as a part of my intro for the audio podcast, but I started a Patreon, um, to be honest, not necessarily based on complete necessity, but you know, every single thing that I've done in this podcast at the moment has come out of my back pocket. From from yeah. this camera I'm talking into, to this microphone, to this laptop that's live streaming, to the other four microphones I've got in my studio in town, to the <laughs> to the, the rent I'm still paying there whilst I sit here, you know, to, to my other desk here, to my desk over there, everything is out of my back pocket. And I just went, I, I can't keep doing this forever and paying out. You know, if, you know, we get good numbers um, engaging with us, if one or two people wanted to come along and sort of be a co-producer or sort of kind of help then that would be great. I, I didn't want to do it because I get the feeling that no, no one's going to want to, that people are, the horse is bolted. You know, people have been getting it for free for so long. So I thought, wow, this is the time to put it up there. I'll throw it up there and, and see what happens. And I don't know. I, I, I think that, I think that you'll, uh, you'll get far more uptake on your Patreon ideas than I'll get on mine, but we'll see. <laughs> well, we'll see. I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do some exclusive content as well. I've actually got a system set up, Frank, yeah, good. that we can, um, I've got a okay. This is this is. I'll, I'll release this to you first. World exclusive. I've got a telephone system set up that goes over um, a cloud. Uh, four lines that come in. There is a New Zealand phone number and an American phone number that people can call to do a talkback type situation. And I'm just in the minute talking to a couple of people about maybe doing a weekly, uh, like on a Sunday night, having four of us meet up on Zoom, putting out the oh. phone numbers, having people call in from New Zealand and America, and just having a chat. Um, oh, so, so there's other things that are that are coming down the pipeline as well, but, but at the moment, all of that is. But see, it's hard to do that because so I have a chat on Sunday night, but then they can also tune into you know ZB or um, I don't know if Magic Talk does anything on a Sunday night, RNZ probably, and they can hear talk there for for free. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see if it works. I mean, you know how radio works. People buy into personalities. So yeah, I need on, that's what uh, I need. I need a personality. That's what I need. Yeah, <laughs> you've got a personality. Um, you know, people tune in on a uh, to promote myself on a tune into ZB at six pm on a Sunday evening. Hopefully, because some of them will be doing it just because they're listening anyway. But some of them will be tuning in because they they like our personalities. Yeah. Uh, same goes same goes with this. People will tune in. Now I. 
I know you're a little nervous about the Patreon thing, so I will give you a plug. If you are watching this, uh, it's because (laughs) obviously you find some value in it. And if you're coming back to watch each of Pat's videos, it's because you find some value in it. Uh, What he's charging on Patreon is next to nothing. So if you keep coming back, you want to support it, you want to see it grow, the way that it grows is through funding. So just throw a couple of bucks a month in and see what happens. There you go, mate. That felt awkward. Hey, um, I know you've got something at 3.30 to get to. Uh, this little TARDIS of a time thing we do, it's already approaching 20 past three. <laughs> so um, we should probably move on, I think. But I don't know, I, this, maybe this feels a bit weird, but is there anything that you, as perhaps the chaplain, media, you're speaking to, I'm in the media? Am I, is this the media? Whatever. Um, media. That you want to share things you've been thinking about. A thought for the day with Reverend Frank. Reverend Francis. I never understood why Francis came out. I think you were trying to trying to be a bit more serious, going from Frank to Francis. That's what it felt like. Yeah, but. yeah. actually, it was a little bit of a personal journey, right. uh, discovering, because uh, uh, of my upbringing, uh, ties to family were fairly loose. Um, so going back to my birth certificate name, which I've never, never used, not since I was a baby, I've always been called Frank, but it was it was an identity thing. And the Pope, had, the Pope had just been uh, put uh, in place, called himself Francis, so it just felt like good. Good, good enough for him. But, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm going back to Frank. So, but if so, I was going to offer, yeah, thought for sorry? the day, a thought for the day from Reverend Frank. What would you yeah, say? Probably just the same thing I've been consistently thinking about since this whole thing started. There's this wonderful phrase, and I will come back to my faith here. There's this wonderful phrase that comes up in Scripture time and time again: is do not be, do not be afraid. It's because when we get scared, strange things uh, happen. Um, but I also heard someone tell me once upon a time that uh, the role of a leader is to drive out fear. So I know that people have seen me in media over the last little while, and they see the smiles, they see the laughs, they hopefully see some some warmth. I feel some of the anxiety and the stress of this time as well. But I, I believe I have a role, as I think much media does, to drive out the the fear so that we can all function and so that we can all rebuild this when we get out of it. So wherever you're at, I would ask people if there's a sense of fear and anxiety, to not let that just run away, to actually take the opportunity to examine it and get some voices in your life, whether they have the same worldview as you or not, get some voices who can speak into that fear and help, help drive it out. If we can get all get out of this feeling more confident uh, about moving forward and doing it together, we're going to be okay. I think I'll put some harp music behind that and um, <laughs> and have it play and, and take a little clip out and we can share it around the world being a, a thought for the day. From, I, I'm going to do, do a little voiceover as well. A thought for the day <laughs> from Reverend Frank. Hey, Frank, it's been a blast, bro. Um, I know that we've been talking about this for probably six months, just in general, getting you down here and catching up, but... You know, look at technology these days. You know, we oh, just mate. we do it. This and if way. I had come down, I would have got wouldn't have got in your bedroom. Whereas doing this way, doing it this way, I got into your bedroom with that lovely neon lighting down the back there. That's wonderful. Wow! 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 Oh, <laughs> I love the red. Wow! 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 Hang on. Oh hang on. yeah. Hang on. That's fabulous. <laughs> People are listening and are not going to have a clue what's going on right now. Just play. Uh, there we go. That's gonna that's gonna flare up my cameras something awful. That's fantastic. So uh yeah, and I'm and I'm and I've decided people don't need to know this, but obviously before I'm in my bedroom because I've obviously COVID out of my studio. Uh but I think I've decided I'm gonna build a studio in my house as well. 
And hopefully, if I can, we can keep going. I'll have a studio downstairs that I'll be able to use for this kind of stuff. Oh, a yeah. studio in town that what we've done is we've offered to um, host podcasts and host broadcasts for other people, and probably use the one in town for that mostly. And yeah. Just just keep right on cranking in this new, new media world. Frank Richard, you are a beautiful man. Don't ever let anyone tell you otherwise. <laughs> Thanks, mate. And um, let's catch up again soon. All right, bro. All right, team, that's us done and dusted. Um, today's, I don't feel like doing the Patreon sort of push because Frank's just done it for us. Look, we're, we've started a Patreon. Check it out patreon.com forward slash docnz i'll leave it at that coming up in the next week while tomorrow we're having a chat with david slack uh david slack is an incredibly interesting insightful speech writing political commentator and and uh and he's also a columnist for various newspapers around the place we'll be having a chat with david slack tomorrow morning and then uh more podcasts on the way as we've been saying each time it's a bit of a sliding scale at the moment people are coming and going quite quickly but one that i'm particularly excited about is next week uh, on Tuesday morning, New Zealand time, we are going to be having a chat uh, live from Las Vegas with poker pro Brad Owens. Now, uh, if you don't know Brad, uh, then go look him up on YouTube. He has a fantastic vlog. And if you're a fan of poker, you will learn more from watching Brad's stuff than any book that you read or uh, any you know high stakes poker that you'll watch. Brad Owen is going to be with us Tuesday morning uh, talking life, the universe and everything and talking poker. So until we see we uh, see you next time, wash your hands, hug a loved one, watch something on the telly that makes you laugh, stay safe, and hooroo.